Hi, I'm Josh Gandy, and you're listening to No Proof. This podcast is an extension of my journey to discover closeness to myself and the outside world. Through mindfulness, the person I'm becoming since sobriety, and the healthy choices I'm learning about along the way. In each episode, I'll be speaking with someone with ties to sobriety, the bar and restaurant industry, wellness, recovery, or all of the above. There's no proof like the present. All right. Thank you for listening to No Proof. As always, I am Josh Gandy, and I'm joined today by John DeBerry. And I'm very excited to chat with you because I've been reading your pieces for a while, and it's been really exciting to see, you know, you've launched a a new product, you have a book out, (laughs) you've got YouTube videos planned. (laughs) Sorry, I hit my keyboard and and everything went haywire. (laughs) That's just to show people that these things are real. These are real conversations. (laughs) Um, but you always have such an inclusive outlook on the industry and I've just always really appreciated your voice and what it brings to the overall conversation of things. So I'm really excited to learn more about you and to just kind of like dig into all things you and sobriety and non-alcoholic drinks and whatever we get to today. Cool. Yeah. Excited to be here. So, you know, my computer is muted now. (laughs) So I mentioned a few of those things and, you know, looking back on 2020 and 2021, it seems like it, uh, it was like anything, but quiet for you. What have you learned about yourself and kind of this time since early 2020? Wow. Yeah. I mean, gosh, 20, 2020 was like a really interesting year for me for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, um, 2020, what I went into, I am sort of like, this is a lot of a back, a lot of backstory, but like, I grew up with, I grew up with a Catholic father, and we nothing from Catholicism stick. I'm like a very devout atheist, but there's something about like the kind of fasting ritual of like Lent and Advent that I always really liked, and so I sort of kept that in my life. And every year, I, I pick like a a thing to sort of restrict in my my consumption, whether it's like not buying clothes or I did like uh, only reread books. Um, of one year and then for 2020 i decided to do um a full dry 2020 and this is after doing a lot of shorter periods of not drinking uh you know i did you know dry january for sure i did um i did i usually i used to do like an october a dry october that's like right before my birthday which is the 20th and then i have like a nice you know boozy holiday season and then i go back to dry january um, or I just sort of every, every, every so often, it was just a lot easier for me to say like, Hey, I'm just not, not drinking right now. Um, rather than trying to like moderate, you know, it was just, I, I really like, for me, it's like one drink. I still kind of feel like it the next day. So it's sort of like, might as well have go for it or just be totally pure. Um, but I thought it would be fun to do, um, a full year. Uh, and then I decided this, not knowing that we would have a pandemic, uh, in 2020, and uh, it kind of coincided with the launch of my non-alcoholic drink company, Proto. Um, and so it was a way for me to kind of like um, dip my toe in that life, you know, and didn't get to do much going out uh, in 2020. But the idea behind it was to, you know, see what life was like as someone who's a long-term, you know, teetotaler and going to bars and restaurants and having that conversation that even now can still be extremely awkward when you go into a bar and you're like 
do you have anything that alcohol? And they're like, no. And you're like, <laughs> like you have nine different kinds of tequila and you have nothing. You have, you have water, like literally, like that's, that's still pretty common. Um, so it was sort of about, uh, you know, living that life and, and not only as sort of like market research, but also just like for myself, you know, I, I struggled with, you know, a lot of different mental illness symptoms throughout my life and, you know, definitely have, you know, as someone who worked in the industry and uh, enjoys a drink, you know, I probably, um, you know, would qualify as an alcohol use disorder, you know, in a moderate sense, at least. So it also was a personal thing just to see, you know, how, how I could feel uh, for not drinking for, for a whole year. Um, and yeah, then 2020, you know, actually happened <laughs> and the pandemic, you know, came crashing down around us and uh, my, you know, it, I was not working in the industry, at, you know, at the hospitality industry as a bartender or, you know, in a, in a restaurant or a bar. I hadn't for a while, uh, but I had started a, a, a nonprofit called Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Um, and it was going pretty quietly. It was, we started it a few years ago, but um, 2020, in response to the pandemic, we launched a COVID relief fund and that like blew up. So my 2020 was extremely busy. You know, a lot of people were kind of stuck at home, like learning to play D&D or like doing sourdough or whatever. And I was like on on Zoom calls with, you know, funders or, you know, nonprofit partners for like 14 hours a day for probably like from like March through June is like when I really calmed down. Um, and all the while, you know, trying to kind of like keep my my startup afloat and, you know, trying to like survive and living in New York City where the pandemic was hitting really hard, really quickly, um, you know, and being stuck at home and, and having to, you know, stockpile coffee because it's like you never know when you were going to be able to get it so it was a really uh, intense time and uh i have i found actually that the choice to not drink that year uh was like a really smart one you know I was talking to people and i'd tell them that i was not drinking for 2020 and they were like oh my god like how do you like how did you survive and i'm like actually probably like that's probably how i survived like i feel like if i was just like you know, raw dog drinking that whole year, I would just be like a mess. And it would just, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do all the things that I, that I did over the year. Um, and, you know, for me, I never really drank as a response to like, um, uh, like distress, you know, as I'm like, oh, I need a drink. It was more like, oh, wow, I like love this thing that I'm drinking. I love the feeling of it. You know, I love drinking beer. I love drinking wine. Uh, so it's always like for fun and never like to treat, you know, kind of distress. I must that distress was a hangover and then you know that's a whole other story but like <laughs> you know it's so it wasn't like i needed it just to, to to manage the the symptoms of, of what it was like to live through 2020 and in fact it made me way more effective at, at the things that i did end up doing in, in that year so uh, i think it was it was amazingly uh well-timed as a choice and it was very um you know i learned probably it wasn't a huge revelation because i had done lots of long-term uh, you know, abstinence from alcohol for, for uh, you know, in the past, but going for a whole year and then also going back after a year, uh, was also really interesting as a contrast. With, you know, everything that you were doing uh, in that year was the fact that you weren't drinking, was that something that you even really had time to think about? I mean, was it just sort of like put in place and then, you know, every day was just a day that you didn't drink or was it something that you kind of like, did you ever feel like you had to actively work on it? 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good question because like you know it's what you know it, it was it, with in a way twenty twenty is an easy year not to drink because usually I find that most people you know maybe relapse is a strong word but if you're trying to like not drink and you end up drinking despite some plan you've made ahead of time it usually involves like a circumstance outside of your control uh, like you're with a friend and you're like hey or you're at a bar or you're at a tasting and one leads to another but if you're stuck at home like you have to be very deliberate about <laughs> having alcohol in your house or, or or getting it for the purpose of consuming it like I had plenty of alcohol in my house I, was, I do drink development you know I, I do recipes so I had it around but it was never like you know, if I wanted, you know, I, I never like bought a case of beer by accident, whereas because <laughs> it's like you have to be really intentional about that. So uh, it wasn't something where I, I needed like a support um, network or any sort of like kind of constant you know, practice of it. It was just kind of like I made the decision and it was like that. That's kind of how I operate. Like it's very, very easy for me to make like a, a choice and then to stick with it. Like if, if for no other reason than that spite. And sometimes in spite of myself. So, <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about um, Proto. How did that come to be? And I guess my question with that, given like when it, um, when you were kind of like bringing it into fruition, like, do you feel like it started a community or did it join one? Uh, I think it, I think it joined one. And I, I think that, you know, there, I didn't necessarily create Proto for for people who didn't drink alcohol as, as sort of like, a, you know, I'm not gonna sit outside of an AA meeting and, and, and hand out flyers, you know, it's, it's more just like, I worked as a professional bar, restaurant, hospitality person for, for, for over a decade and, and um, noticed that there was just nothing out there for people who didn't, that didn't have alcohol in it. And, you know, so it was, you don't have to be, you know, a total abstainer in order to like not want to have a glass of wine, you know, with your lunch or whatever. There's so many reasons why people would want to drink something else besides alcohol at any given point. Um, and I found that working in a restaurant, you know, we, I worked from home for nine years. And at the beginning, you know, we only had like cocktail wine, like maybe, you know, nice bubbly water and a couple of, of non-alcoholic drinks, but it was never really something we took, took too, too seriously. But then towards the end of my time, this was like around 2018, I really began to like put on like full-fledged cocktail menus that had like, you know, 10% uh, non-alcoholic drinks or 20%, you know, so a significant portion. And we saw our sales just sort of go up. You know, it wasn't like we took away from another category. It was just like out of thin air, essentially, out of people who would otherwise have just chosen to drink, you know, tap water or something. Um, so there was that kind of business case where I was like seeing that there was just an unmet need. And when, when we responded to that need, people really were, were excited about it. But then also as like a, you know, as like a mixologist, you know, quote unquote, like I, I found that creating non-alcoholic drinks is really challenging and challenging because alcohol is a great medium for flavor and it just has a lot of advantages. Um, and there's so many different types of alcohol <laughs> out there where you, so you have so much to choose from it's almost like too easy um and so making a non-alcoholic drink uh, that kind of had that same level of credibility and interest and aesthetic integrity and you know, all these things that you would no normally expect from some sort of craft you know high-minded drink uh it was not there were, it was it's hard it's hard to do um and you know you go into a restaurant and they make you like a basically like a fancy fruit juice and you're like okay this is nice but like really is this the same uh so i wanted to create something that restaurants and bars could serve that had that same level of sophistication and kind of intrigue um because it wasn't 
it wasn't easy to do. And so uh, I kind of used all the tricks I learned of my years of bartending to, to kind of build a drink that hit the same points that you would for any other you know, fancy wine or cocktail. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, cause I feel like, you know, you, you do get this kind of like fancy fruit juices and it's very like one and done. I feel like it's very rare that you have something that you maybe want to impart through, you know, an entire meal or right. an entire evening. Um, yeah. And you have, especially two, there's that, two different types, right? Especially as a food pairing too. Like oh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the non-alcoholic drinks are really about like craft cocktails, which, which is great, but like, you know, you don't necessarily want that with like, you know, a meal. Uh, so yeah, so, so that's that's uh, one of the reasons uh, why I created a couple different you know exp- expressions, if you will, in the line. Like the Remington Spritz is like lighter, it's it's bubbly, it's got like hibiscus and chamomile and gentian and uh, strawberry, and it's a bit lighter, kind of as an aperitif, like subbing it in for like a sparkling wine or like a gin tonic or that kind of occasion. Um, and then the Ludlow Red is like a bit more intense and concentrated, and it's not sparkling; it's still uh, and it has blackberry, black pepper, roasted dandelion root, uh, fig vinegar, a bunch of other botanicals, and that's really meant to kind of cover like the the red wine slash digestive, you know, kind of amaro vermouth moment. For Lovely. I, it's really exciting to kind of see like where you know these NA drinks are are going now, you know, especially to have bartended in a time where I felt like all mocktails were mimicry, you know, they were just sort of like the basis of conversation to just like, I, you know, the conversation with the bar person was usually like, I need you to put something in my hand that looks like what I always drink yeah. so that nobody will ask me a single question right. um, at all. Where do you think these conversations are coming from that are just kind of like making people a little bit more comfortable, you know, outwardly expressing their love for NA drinks or even like, you know, wanting to order or even, you know, have those moments where the friends were just like, oh, I'm not drinking because whatever, it doesn't have to be some hidden secret anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think like hidden secrets kind of like where it's at. It's like the kind of shame of a lot of things, but like, you know, if, if you're, if you're embarrassed about your choice to not drink um, or your choice to not drink brings out someone else's embarrassment in their feelings about their own consumption, um, or you're feeling ashamed because you're not spending enough money at a restaurant because, you know, you're trying to like, you know, look cool or you're the people working at the restaurant and you're like, oh, this person's buying a $5 soda. Like, why can't they get a $20 glass of wine? So there's like all these sort of different vectors of shame <laughs> that surround uh, people not drinking. And I think that, that, you know, one of the, you know, it's, it's very oppressive in a way, but also it's, it's sort of easy to, um, not maybe not maybe not easy but it's a simple solution of just sort of coming out and talking about it just being in the openness begets more openness and then you say something and people are like oh you know what actually like that's me too and then it sort of creates this like network of of, of like compassion so um i think it's just really um uh, it's sort of this like gradual process that then has this sort of tipping point where where it's like any kind of like you know movement it has a very low rumblings and everything's sort of disparate. And then people start to put the pieces together and then all of a sudden it sort of becomes, it spills out into the, into the open and it becomes something that's not, uh, <clears throat> it's not shameful. And so, you know, it, it's, you know, I, when I was not drinking for a month or two or whatever, like five years ago, you know, people would be like, oh, like, really like why? Or I would do that to people 
that people would be like, hey, I'm not drinking for this week or whatever. And I'm like, that's stupid. Like, you know, like just like, you know, kind of reacting on this own, uh, like this automatic kind of like thoughtless um, embarrassment about, you know, themselves and you know, whatever kind of hangups they might have about consumption. Um, but, you know, in the past, you know, five years, couple of years, even more recently, like you, it, it goes from being this weird choice, like, oh, like, like, really? Why? Okay. Versus, like, oh, well, like, good for you. You know, it's like becoming, it's like not smoking cigarettes. You know, no one's like, oh, like, what's your sad story about cigarettes? It's more like, oh, well, good for you. Like, you stopped doing something else, probably not good for you. Um, or you're doing it less, at least. Um, so I think it's just really a matter of like that, the glorification of alcohol and a lot of people's beliefs about alcohol being beneficial. Uh, whether it's like you know oh it's good for your heart or like oh it helps you relax or like i can't socialize or date without it i think a lot of times it's like those beliefs are just becoming a little bit less strong um for people um and they're actually kind of seeing like the opposite you know that that a lot of times is like impairing your ability to do the things that you think is helping oh yeah absolutely and i i you know did that to myself for the beginning of this like now four-year journey i would just like you're not going to be able to make it you're not going to be able to go to these places where you once felt comfortable unless you're drinking and then once you're you sit in it for a while you're just like that is the that's the dumbest thing i could have ever thought about myself <laughs> that i can't exist in these places so when you're um you know like creating non-alcoholic drinks for say like food 52 or things like that like what what um what are you thinking about when you're creating these drinks? Cause I feel like for a lot of people, they think that like drinking non-alcoholic would be easy, but like you kind of alluded to earlier, like it really isn't in some ways like creating an original in a cocktail can be uh, difficult. How do you make that not scary for people who are kind of looking to start? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can make it not scary, but for, for me, like in the, one of the sort of central tenets of the of my cocktail book was like that, you know, drinks, you know, live or die on a few points of balance. You know, there's like acidity, there's sweetness, there's bitterness, um, there's temperature, there's, you know, with the case of alcohol drinks, there's alcoholic strength. Um, and, you know, the best drinks kind of are balanced in those dimensions, but then you're also like proportional in those dimensions. Not only is it does it have acidity? The acidity is also balanced. Um, and so you really want to think about creating a drink that can hit as many of those points of balance in the right way as possible. So, you know, is where is the sweetness coming from? Where's the acidity coming from? There's a little bit of bitterness. I think it's really important, especially in non-alcoholic drinks, because I think even though alcohol, ethanol, you know, isn't really quite bitter, it still has the kind of similar sensation. There's like a little bit of bite, there's a little bit of resistance, it slows you down. So bitterness is a really good way. And also like heat, like capsaicin or black pepper um, is a good way to kind of like, not necessarily like trick you into thinking you're drinking alcohol, but to sort of have, provide some of the same sensations so that it definitely, so it provides as, as rich of an experience as alcohol does. Um, Cause I think that like the mimicry um, angle for a lot of these non-alcoholic drinks is probably not super sustainable you know I, I don't know if you know i don't i don't want to i don't want to not know i don't want to be like forget that i'm not drinking alcohol you know what i mean like a lot of people don't want to be reminded of that you know so you want to sort of break away entirely from it i think you're a little bit safer the more you do that because then you're less bound by the way things should be um so that's not necessarily not scary but it's it's an easier roadmap to say like you know just find where these things come from but then also i think like another part of my my book that i try to hammer home was like 
if you think a drink tastes good, even though maybe like, you know, someone else thinks it's like shitty, then like fuck that person. You know, it's like, you <laughs> like making a drink for you and what suits your mood and your feeling. And like, you can make a, you know, super elaborate cocktail with really expensive ingredients and a lot of prep work. Um, or you can put two, two like, you know, like, I don't know, like you who and absence together. And that's also fine, you know, like, so it doesn't need to be, you don't need to, you're, if you're making drinks for, for yourself, then you're really only making drinks for yourself. But if you're making it, I guess, if you're making it in a professional setting, you should have support around you to, to make it better. But if, if you're just someone at home and you're getting started, um, it's really about you um, and your own, you know, exploration and, and knowing what you like first and having a sense of that and being confident in that. And then if you say like, oh, I, I just don't like this thing or I like this and you don't, so whatever. Um, that's the great, that's the starting point. Um, and then you can kind of build around that. But if you don't know what you like first, then you're kind of grasping in the dark. I want to chat a little bit about, um, you know, you know, maybe you don't have an answer for this section, but I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of like sobriety in the, in the workplace. And maybe if you've, you know, had conversations about this, or even if you've heard rumblings, but is sobriety being talked about inside bars and restaurants yet? Uh, you mean, I, I think, uh, it's, I mean, I haven't worked in a bar or a restaurant like actively since 2018 at the latest, you know, at my, my last bartending shift was at PDT, it was in 2013. So, um, very different time, very different time. Um, but, you know, working for Momofuku, you know, we, we didn't even have shift drinks, you know, as you know, we would have like, you know, water or juice or whatever, you know, sodas, but we would never, we wouldn't give the staff, um, you know, beer or your wine as a shift drink. It would just, we just wouldn't like consumption of alcohol by staff on the premises during or after a shift. It was just like not something that happened, um, which I think was, I think we, I mean, and we did that for a long time. It was, it was pretty early. Uh, relative to I think other other places, so that was actually I think that was a little bit of a bummer, you know. <laughs> and, you know, if you think about it, like from a traditional like bar setting, you know, it's, you know, restaurants, you know, people like to have a glass of wine or a beer at the end of the shift or something like that, or, or you know, even more. You know, sometimes it's fun, and like I get that, but I think that like for the overall health of a, of, a, of an establishment, like it's just it really really helps to to, not to have that boundary, um, and I think that a lot more bartenders are kind of have been in the past few years have been sort of more vocal about <clears throat> not drinking behind the bar uh, and sort of making declarative statements. You know, there was a, an initiative that was started a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I forget the exact name of it, but I think it's called the pin project or something like that, where it was basically this like visual signal that you would like wear that it was sort of this like way of declaring that you were like not drinking for while you were working. Um, which, you know, it sounds like kind of ridiculous from an outsider perspective of like, wow, like you're, you have to do that in order to like get through your job, which is not really that what that means. But, you know, I think that when you're working in a setting where you're, especially like at a real like a cocktail bar, you know, people buy you shots, you know, people, you do like snackeries, you know, it's not really a huge deal, but also it can lead to not great outcomes. So um, I think people are beginning to more and more realize that, especially as in the past 10, 15 years, like the role of a bartender is not just like, oh, I'm just doing this as my job while I wait for my big break in acting. You know, it's like, this is my career. Like I'm a professional. Like I have like an image to maintain. 
social media, I think probably also has a huge impact on it. You know, <laughs> if you're like looking a little like drowsy at behind the bar, like, you know, I, I, I can come back to bite you. Um, so I think that just the professionalization of the, of the, of the industry in the past, you know, decade plus has also led to, you know, a lot more people taking the job a lot more seriously and, and, and really trying to, to like, you know, do their best and show up as perfectly as they can every day. Um, so as far as you know, explicit conversations about like sobriety in terms of like a you know, recovery framework or, or anything like that, I, I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I hope, you know, there's some places and there's plenty of people who are big leaders in the bar industry who are, you know, AA, they are sober, you know, they are doing you know, all those recovery, you know, kind of steps, you know, so to speak. Uh, but um, yeah, I can't, I can't say with any certainty if there's like, you know, like staff meetings about it. That's fair. I yeah. I, I mean, I I've seen a couple around the country. It's just kind of exciting to see, like, you know, um, when I was bartending, I feel like those conversations didn't exist either. And just like to kind of even see like the thinnest of light of these like expressions of like you know structurally from the top down, like these restaurants can say you know no shift drinks or anything like that. They can they can say all of that, but. Uh, I think it will be exciting to maybe see the possibility of them implementing ways to think about it from the other end of just, you know, if it's like uh, house yoga or run clubs or even thinking yeah. about the other, the, the opposite end of it. And just instead of saying, you can't do this, say, these are the things that we can do to benefit, make you want to stay here a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, they're not, it's, there are organizations that work in the industry or, or kind of adjacent to the industry that do kind of deal with this kind of stuff. And, and a lot of them are funders of, of restaurant or, or grantees of restaurant workers community foundation um so there's restaurant after hours there's ben's friends um there's a few others that are focusing on they either have kind of like maybe not expressly 12-step meetings but they have support meetings um that definitely deal with substance use um, disorders and then there are also tons of like wellness focused um uh, i'm blanking on what i don't know names but uh i should know this Yeah, focus on health. That's what I was thinking about. Lauren Paler and Alex Jump. Yeah, so there are like kind of nonprofits, there are organizations that are working with the industry um, from kind of, and not quite the outside, but you know, from from a different angle. Uh, but institutional, like within a, a restaurant group or a bar, I think that would be great to, to see um, for sure, especially now because it's like I think that will, you know, sobriety, you know, is, is one part piece of sort of mental health and, and they kind of two feet off each other, especially now working in restaurants and bars is like way more brutal. Absolutely. Than yeah. years ago. It's much more yeah. splintered than it, I think it ever felt before. Yeah. So what do you think is the, you know, what happens next for the NA space? I think, you know, speaking more in line of like things like uh, proto and menus and cocktail books and stuff like that do you see this as something that just like can fully immerse itself within just the way that we consume as a culture or do you see this as something that's going to have a big strong peak and then maybe fizzle out i i think that we you know like maybe three years ago two years ago there was this kind of frothy enthusiasm about the non-alcoholic drink space that i was you know part of uh that you know looked to see what what was happening in the UK where you know non-alcoholic drinks you know, scene and, and industry is a bit more advanced, probably like 
you know, 18 to 24 months ahead of us. Um, and it was kind of easy to see like the, the trends of like, oh, like Gen Z, they're not drinking as much and you know, not drinking is gonna be this huge thing. And people were throwing around like sober curious, like Cali sober and like all these sort of like conflicted terms. And I think that it's, it's easy to kind of like see growth and just expect it to just keep going. Um, but I think that what we have seen instead of like a total takeover, I think that COVID sort of threw everyone you know, topsy-turvy and that there were a lot of trends that were happening that got accelerated, you know, maybe the point of maturity or they kind of died out. People drank a lot during COVID and then they stopped drinking or they, you know, you just, it, it all kind of went topsy-turvy and kind of chaotic <laughs> and haywire. And but I think that what what's exciting for me is like the maturity of the category that we're starting to see. Um, we have a ton of uh, non-alcoholic bottle shops uh, popping up in the country, but in New York, uh, just, there's, a, there's a, like, I don't think, at least five uh, that I can come off the top of my head. And I was at the reopening of one. Uh, it's called Spirited Away. It's in the it's in Nolita. And this the owner, Douglas, we were like looking at the shelves and we were kind of talking about where, where things were going to go and kind of this philosophical thing. And it's like, yeah, I think and we were both commenting about how like we're really close to being able to have like sections you know in a, in a non-alcoholic bottle shop where i think before it was everything was sort of a bit fragmented um and yeah there were wines and there were spirits and there were sort of other things but it really wasn't kind of coalescing in this like kind of structured way that we see now i think that's that's really where things are going where um there's going to be a bit more of a roadmap um, when i started to develop proto there was really nothing there was like seed lift there's a couple of the brands um, there was no kind of like boundaries in the category. It was just complete total white space, which was really cool. And I think it's what allowed me to create something that didn't have a reference to anything else that had come before it, which in some ways is kind of more challenging than <laughs> just making like, oh, hey, this is a gin, this is an alcohol in it. It's an easy story. Um, so we're seeing that kind of like nebulous growth and this like kind of exciting space where no one knows what's going on is sort of starting to like you know, accrete into like some more defined things and, and we're beginning to see, um, you know, more arrive, like brands starting to kind of encroach on each other's space a little bit and, and starting to get a little bit less, you know, touchy-feely, you know, good vibes all, every, all over the place. And like, you know, the space is getting, a, a, starting to get crowded. It's, it's far from crowded, but uh, I think that's definitely happening soon. And I think what's happening probably a little farther off is the same kind of canonization of non-alcoholic cocktails as you know alcohol cocktails. You know, we've had a couple hundred years of, of you know gin-based cocktails to like to pull from in terms of like, oh, this is like a Negroni riff and like this is an old-fashioned and this is what this is a daiquiri. Um, where there's nothing even close to that with, with non-alcoholic drinks, they're all kind of their own freaky structure, which I think is, is also cool. Um, but, you know, as more and more books come out and more and more people are thinking with that same level uh, to non-alcoholic drinks as they, as they have been to, 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 you know, traditional cocktails, I think we're going to start to see that as well, where you're going to see like a more genres start to, to develop with drinks, like cocktails specifically. Do you think that will also kind of increase education in what people like? I feel like, mm -hmm. yeah, right. as you're describing, I think it's going to kind of like force people to understand what they like about even spiritist yeah. drinks more so about like the, the non-alc stuff of just like, okay, I like old fashioned, but then you really have to understand like, what is it about old fashioned that I mm -hmm. like if I can't tell you what's in it? Totally.
What's um what's in your fridge right now? Uh well, I I I usually have like 12 to 24 cans of sparkling water in my can in my refrigerator at any given time, but I ran out over the weekend and it was near. So I'm actually like totally empty, uh, which is pretty it's <laughs> pretty sad. Um also a big I'm a big cold brew coffee uh guy. Um and so I, I always have that. Uh, at the ready, and then my my wine fridge used to have a lot of wine. I inherited a bunch of wine from my from my dad, uh, but now it's basically just like the proto uh, storage <laughs> storage unit. So I have about forty five k bottles of proto in the wine fridge. Um, along, I probably have a couple of, of bottles of wine in there as well. Um, but yeah, my uh, uh, my fridge is usually pretty like weird. I, I was at a friend's place the other day, and I was like, they're like not they're a civilian, you know, so they had like a liquor cabinet that was like a normal person's liquor cabinet <laughs> and i was like marveling at it, like wow like you actually like put some thought into this and it's like makes sense from like a consumer's perspective whereas it's like i have like six bottles of one type of vodka because i had to work that project once and then like some random samples that got sent to me um so like i'm always a really bad example for like how to stock your own home fridge uh, or home bar because uh, it's just it's just I, I put no thought into it <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious well for my final question and speaking about uh home bars uh, it was recently revealed that Neil Patrick Harris drinks Proto and reads your book. How did that, that. change yeah. you as a person? <laughs> that was pretty intense. Uh, <laughs> I love I love that. Um, and it, how did it change me as a person? Uh, I don't know. That's that's, a, that's I haven't thought about it in that in that way. Um, it was it was cool to see, um, and I, and that, yeah, I sort of started to put like I'm like I'm like what's the backstory here? You know, because like. If I, if I, you know, see on my, my online shop I, and I see someone like, hey, Neil Patrick Harris ordered Proto from you, I would get an email and I would see that and I would know who it was. So I'm like, how did that happen? How did he get that? Um, but, you know, and, and the book was like, you blink and you miss it. Like the only person, only the author of a book would be able to spot that like blurry, like single frame. Um, and I thought that was, that was really cool too, because, um, you know, I, I find like, it's definitely better, a lot better now, but like queer, queer representation in the bar industry was, is, hasn't been, you know, amazing. Uh, and so like, I, I kind of see my book as one of the, one of the earlier, like openly queer cocktail books in the world, in the world. Um, and so it was nice to kind of see that and like kind of have this like pink mafia moment uh, going. And I also was like, had just watched the Matrix movie and he's like in it. And that was also very surreal. Um, so yeah, it was nice. It was it was validating, um, but then also, there you know I think a lot of people believe that social media is like the end all be all of of life and like full transparency. Like this guy has eight point six million Instagram followers, and I didn't. There was no noticeable difference in the amount of sales I did that day. Uh, so you got to keep pushing it, even if yeah, you know, even if you have famous people on your side, like it's not enough. That's true. Well, what's uh. What's next for you this year? What are your goals? Oh gosh. Uh, well, I've been doing these monthly food fifty-two, food 52 videos. It's such a tongue twister um, that I just love doing. And uh, getting in front of the camera is always like very, very um, nerve-wracking. And I think it's easy to make it. A lot of people are very good at making it look easy, but then when you're standing in front of a camera and people are like, "Oh, you're like." Ugh. Your videos are great, by the way. They they read well. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, definitely like 
yeah, it was definitely a, a fun, a fun learning experience. And I'm glad that I ended up, like, I didn't have a ton of experience in front of the camera, you know? So it was like, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> I guess I'm okay at this. Um, and it's just really been really cool to, um, to get like expertise out in the world uh, that, you know, people, you know, not everyone reads books, you know, not everyone reads a cocktail book up to cover, uh, don't blame them. Uh, but, you know, you throw it up on a YouTube video and you can, you know, people, you know, you, it's so funny what people pick up on, you know, I do these little silly like factoids and tips and tricks. And I think that they're kind of throwaways and that people are like, oh my God, this changed my life. Um, I also love seeing, I also love like sicking my online friends or my real friends, but they're doing it online against like the kind of like vaguely homophobic like commenters on YouTube. <laughs> so I always get like a good like laugh out of screenshotting, like someone being like, ew, like, why are you wearing lipstick? I'm like, cause it looks amazing. Like, um, so there's that. Uh, and probably uh, getting, probably getting started on another book. Um, and yeah, I'm also, uh, I'm also, I'm also working on Proto trying to, you know, raise money, raise funds, uh, you know, through investment and uh, hopefully come out with a couple additional, you know, offerings in the line. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like for, for me, it, it passed, I mean, my whole life has been pretty like weird to hard to predict. I would have never thought I ended up in this role. <laughs> I was like in college or before. Uh, so I'm always just like open-ended and, and try not to, to be too attached to my predictions because they usually don't come true. <laughs> not in a bad way, but just it's always a surprise. Well, that's awesome. I really look forward to seeing what this year uh, brings to you. I thank you so much for joining me in part of this conversation. And um, I'll include all the links in the show notes so people can keep in touch and see what you have coming down the line this year. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's no proof. Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard or are interested to hear more, make sure to like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music was written and recorded by my brother Kyle, right here in Columbus, Ohio. To pick up an NA enamel pen and other great barware, head to moverandshakerco.com. More info and other shows like the Focus on Health podcast with Alex Jump can be found at fohealth.org. That's focusonhealth.org.